Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to a very special edition or episode, if you will, of The Pinch Point, because today we're not going to be funneling down all the info like we normally do for you guys. We're going to be talking about a couple very specific things that all are kind of related to one another, and they relate to what appears to be some sort of pattern of, I don't know what we want to call it, overstepping the boundaries of the law, but this time by the law enforcement officers, not the the hunter, not us folk. We're not always the bad folk on the other side of this thing. So um, before we begin, I have to say, does that, I have to ask a question. Brando, do you ever do this? Like I have this horrible tendency. I, I don't know. I, I like fidgets. Do you know mm-hmm. what fidgets are? Yeah. Do you remember fidget spinners? Yes. Now my kids just call them fidgets. Okay. It's like a whole class of New product. cheap garbage that's made in Can China. Can you imagine if you just came up with that, though? That'd be pretty. Like fidgets? Yeah, like that's just like your industry. But I, my, my fidget is my knife. I just sit, something about like clicking my knife open and that just click of the blade. Like I will sit and just click my knife like nonstop all the time. Do you have anything that you fidget with? Not if I'm doing like a specific thing, maybe. Do you enjoy fidgeting? Is it like a thing? Do you remember? I had a fidget cube. Yeah, no, I never, for a I never do do those. Like, ne- never. My other one is my release, clicking. It's something about the clicking and something like snapping securely into place, like my release. But now that I shoot a thumb release and I just clip it on my bow when I get there, I don't mess with it. But when I was shooting like a, an index finger that was strapped to my wrist, dude. I was constantly like click something about like when that thing just clicks into place. And that's like this, this knife, dude, that I just, I love Maybe it. Maybe one of my ticks is like sticking my tongue out when I'm doing anything. Like anytime I'm like. Like Michael Jordan? Fo- like, yeah, like very much <laughs> like, that. So where I'm like focused on something, like I'll like, my, I'll like definitely be like tongue out, like. All right. Oh, well, I don't know. Like That's not a, yeah, like, I feel like, I don't know, something about my knife and it always freaks people out when you're like sitting there playing with a knife. My wife's always like, why are you doing that? You're going to kill yourself. I'm like, you know how hard it would be to kill yourself accidentally with a knife? Just about as hard as it would be to trip and fall and shoot your brother in the head with a crossbow. About that hard, Brando, is is what it would be. So anyways, as we move forward with this, so let's start with a little bit of history. There's been a couple cases now that we've talked about on the pinch point where hunters have been by some regard, depends, I'm sure on who you ask, treated unfairly, maybe even illegally by DNR officers. I believe the first one we covered was this fella. Um, I think, you know what? We may not have even covered it here on the podcast. I don't think we we're doing the podcast yet. This was in December of last year. Um, there was a guy in West Virginia and North Carolina. I forget which state he lived in, but he killed two big bucks in one year. Traveled out of state and killed one and then went home and killed the other one. And the story goes that once word got out that he killed this one out of state, the other locals in the area that had trail camera pictures of the deer just assumed that he must have been trespassing when he shot this deer. Because I don't know what, apparently they're like, this deer never left our property. Like, how did they know that? Like, it's just... Whatever. But they took the pictures to the DNR. The DNR ended up coming to his, I can't remember if it was his home, or I think they went to his taxidermist, which seems to be kind of a similar thread. And they confiscated both of his bucks. Keep in mind, they had no evidence. 
They had nothing other than like these guys saying, we got trail cam pictures of this deer in our property and this dude from out of state killed it. He must have trespassed and killed it illegally. You need to go do something about this. So they confiscate the guy's deer without a search warrant, without legal or whatever precedent to, to take his deer heads from him. No actual evidence. Like it's nobody saw him trespassing. They didn't have any sort of tangible evidence, proof. There was no trail camera pictures of him anywhere. There was no remains of a deer that had been left behind. There was literally nothing other than like a trail camera picture and these guys saying he must have been on our property when he shot the deer. How a law enforcement officer who is trained on this stuff can possibly decide that is good enough for me to travel out of state to confiscate these animals and, and cite this person is just beyond me. Like, I just, I don't understand how that, I can't make the correlation between getting from here to here and not saying to yourself, like, there's probably not enough for me to go on to make this worthwhile. So the guy ended up winning his case or whatever. They, they, I think the state dropped the case against him before it actually went to court, if I believe. And now I think, I don't know if he's suing them or going after them or what exactly he's doing. Um, but that was like case number one. So this was December, right? Just recently, this one we did cover on, on the podcast here, we had a Virginia landowner who is suing a game warden for essentially stealing his trail camera and looking at his trail camera pictures and trying to use it as evidence against him. Um, so that one was also in Virginia, although one was West Virginia and one was Virginia. And I'm pretty sure that people from that area, if you get them confused, they don't like that. Like, they're very... Like, I'm either from Virginia or I'm from West Virginia. Which one would you rather live in, Brando? Probably Virginia. You don't want to be in West Virginia? Why? Be like, I've just heard stories from West Virginia. Nothing I can think of in particular, but just I have a negative connotation. Of, oh, that's terrible. I know, that's, right? That's horrible. You're terrible biased against but, West Virginia. Virginia is closer to the coast, right? Obviously. Which I like. Yeah, I like it's farther be. east. Right. So I. But they don't call it East Virginia. It's just Virginia. Yeah. It's the original. In Virginia, that's pretty pretty much. Pretty, you can get near like DC right there. So it's a nice little nice little area. Yeah, I guess. Why would you want to go there though? That's like terrible. If I have to choose, but choice between West Virginia or there, I'd rather be like by the coast. I don't know enough to make a decision right now. But like many things in life, I'll just throw it out there. I think I'd rather go to West Virginia for some reason. In my mind, it's more beautiful. I don't even know if that's true or not. Is the Ozark, is like, the Ozarks there? Is that, no, that's, no, that's completely the wrong part of the country. Ozarks is like uh, Missouri. Missouri, okay. Yeah, and northern Arkansas, I believe, as well. But yeah, Appalachians, that's, that's what I'm thinking of. Appalachia. Yeah, a lot of bad things about Appalachia, right? It feels like it's like, like deliverance. deliverance. <laughs> <laughs> that's why the West Virginia was... <laughs> poor, poor people. One movie from like 40 years ago just ruined everything for them. <laughs> All right, so we had this guy in Virginia uh, saying that some overzealous game warden came onto his property because they thought that he was baiting turkeys, I believe it was, and they essentially took his trail camera. Like, again, no warrant, no probable cause, no real evidence to do this. Like, they just came, took his, took his trail camera, checked his cards. Uh, so he's suing them now for violating his rights saying like, look, you can't just come on my property and take my stuff because you feel like it. Like that's not a thing that law enforcement should be able to do, right? So we talked about this um, on the podcast. Uh, a podcast listener heard this and reached out to me and says, hey man, I have a 
crazy ass story to share with you that I want to get my story out because I had a very similar thing happen to me. So um, this fella and I, we exchanged information. He called me the other night. I was actually on, uh, I was on my evening hike because I once again have decided that I want to do 75 hard for the second time this year. One time wasn't good enough for me. I think today's like day eight, eight or nine. Do you recall, Brando? Maybe today's day mm-hmm. nine. Let's see. Day nine. Today's day nine. It's much easier the second time around. Now that I got my like my, my plan, my system down from the first time, like this, this is a, a walk in the park. But I will say this. I was doing workouts outdoors in like February and March and now in July, way different. I will say it's a lot easier to consume a gallon of water a day in July than it is in February. (laughs) I don't have to quite force myself, especially after some of these outdoor workouts where I look like I just got out of the shower. So anyways, fellow called me the other night when I was on my, my evening hike. We talked for over an hour about this and he filled me in on all the details. Now, the thing that you always have to remember with every story is there's always three sides, as they say, whoever they are. I feel like in this case, I'm part of they. There's one person's side of the story, i.e. the plaintiff, let's call him in this case. There's the other side of the story, which would be, wait, no, the plaintiff isn't this guy. He's the defendant. So he's the defendant. Is the defendant and the plaintiff the same thing? I think they have the same they're, thing. No. No. Plaint- no, when you're like suing somebody. You're the plaintiff. So the plaintiff yeah. would be like the state in this case. So you've got the state's case, you've got his case, and then you have what would potentially be the truth, right? Because I'm sure that the story I'm getting from him is kind of like his side, so it's going to be biased in his favor. If you were to talk to the CO or the DNR, I'm sure their side's going to be biased in their favor, and, and hopefully the truth lies somewhere in the middle, right? Go ahead, Brando. What do you the plaintiff is the one who initiates litigation by submitting a complaint to yeah, the Yeah, so in court. this case, it would be the state. In this particular case, the state of Iowa. So as the story goes, this guy, he's a non-resident. He lives in Michigan. He waits five or six years to get that coveted Iowa tag that we all want, right? So he finally draws an Iowa tag. He gets permission on a private piece of land in Southwest Iowa to hunt. Like, what a great situation, right? Hell yeah, I I got an Iowa tag and I got some private ground to hunt on. He runs out there during the summer, puts up trail cameras as, as most people would do. And he puts minerals in front of the trail cameras, which in Iowa is completely legal to do. You could put minerals out, put a trail camera in front of it. So far, so good. He leaves, he goes home, he starts getting pictures of big ass buck. I mean, it's Iowa, they're everywhere. They're literally like, you just go anywhere and there's just big bucks. So he, I said he wasn't even like home yet, I don't think. It was like the next day. It was like right after he left, all of a sudden, boom, giant buck on his trail camera. Okay. So he gets pictures of this deer all summer long. At some point in time, I believe he said it was like late September, something like that, uh, a raccoon or something knocked his his camera over, which is pretty standard. Like I get tons of cameras knocked over every year. So he decides, uh, rightfully so, like, hey, it's opening weekend of the season. I'm going to run to Iowa from Michigan. I think he said it was like 900 miles one way. It was like a far drive, right? He's like far southwest part of Iowa, almost into Nebraska. And he's coming from around Detroit somewhere, pretty far apart. I know, Brando, your your geography isn't the best. So they're pretty far apart, right? So he drives out there, first night, climbs up in a stand. Part of the reason he went out there was he wanted to fix his trail camera, right? Obviously, it's opening weekend of the season, 
But he's also like, man, I need to fix this camera because I'm not planning on coming back for at least a couple of weeks, end of October, end of November, something like that. I'm going to take advantage. He, I think he said he had already shot a buck early in Ohio, maybe, because Ohio opens like in late September. So I think he shot an Ohio buck and he was like, well, screw it. I'm going to run out to Iowa. I'm going to fix this camera before things start getting good. I may as well just hunt while I'm there and then I'll come home. No big deal. So he drives out there. Call it dumb luck, call it skill, call it whatever you want. He climbs up in a tree that night, out walks, giant buck. He shoots the deer, kills the deer, takes some pictures with the deer, heads his ass back to Michigan. So he's like, hell yeah, man, one and done. One sit in Iowa and I killed like a 170 or 180. It's a big deer. And he takes it home, doesn't think anything of it, goes to the taxidermist, um, drops the the hide and everything off taxidermist says hey man that's going to be like a year before i can get to your deer because of the load which is which is pretty standard so he takes the rack home with him so this is in october of 2021 so he leaves his camera out there this is where the story all starts to kind of happen right he leaves his his camera out in iowa at some point in time the landowner who lived out of state he had permission to hunt the property the landowner hires a company to come in and do some sort of logging or excavating or something like that. So he had been hunting in essentially like almost like a fence row between two fields. He wasn't hunting in like a big block of timber or anything. He was in, a, in one of those spots that big deer tend to live in because there's not a lot of other deer around, right? was where he was at. One of those overlooked areas where you're like, son of a bitch, there's a giant buck living out there. And I just didn't even think about it, right? So the landowner hires somebody to come in and clear a bunch of these trees out. They go out there with equipment, they're clearing trees out. Naturally, they see his trail camera. And I think, I don't know if they're going to cut down the tree that it's in or whatever the story is, but they take his camera, they give it to what he's calling the land manager, um, which is the guy that must take care of the property. Maybe it's the farmer, maybe he lives on the property, something like that. He's not the owner of the property, but they take the camera, they give it to this guy. I don't understand the mechanics of what happens next in, in this guy. We're going to call him Stosh. He asked me, call him Stosh. It's a good, it's a good code name. Th there's a reason he doesn't want all this out there publicly yet. But anyways, um, somehow the camera gets from the property manager to another person. I don't understand the mechanics of why that would happen. I don't know if he was like, hey, they found this camera. We don't know whose it is. Why don't you just take it? I don't get it. But the other guy gets a hold of the camera. Naturally, as I think most of us would probably do, myself included, he goes and checks the pictures on the camera. And what does he see? Well, he sees a big ass buck on a mineral site. Somehow, some way, he figures out that this fella killed that deer because there was a picture of it posted online on uh, a popular social media site that posts trophy photos of Iowa bucks. We'll just leave it at that. I'm sure you guys can figure out which site it is. There's only one of them out there that I know of. So he recognizes the deer, sees that it had been posted on this, this social media channel of, of these big Iowa bucks, and has the trail camera pictures of the deer at the mineral site. And for whatever reason, I don't know, maybe we'll never know unless we talk to this person, he decides this guy must have shot this deer over, over minerals, which is illegal in Iowa. Hunting over bait is illegal. 
but putting minerals out for purposes of like inventory and, and whatnot, tracking deer, feeding deer, supplemental feeding, not illegal. So we have two things. We have a picture of a deer on a mineral site. And then we have a picture of the deer dead with the guy. That's all we got. It was on this minerals three weeks earlier and three weeks later. Now it's dead. That's all we got. They bring that to the DNR. The DNR, much like the case of this guy from Virginia or wherever he was from. Where was this fellow from? Was he West Virginia? West Virginia. Or I think he was from North Carolina hunting in West Virginia. Either way, very same situation. We have no hard evidence. We don't have any proof. We got no witnesses. We got no blood trail or a bloody arrow or anything. We got a live deer on a trail camera picture and we got a dead deer on a trophy photo. That's all we got. They decide that that is enough to try and charge him with wildlife violations for hunting over bait. Now, we all, we have talked in the past, and this is kind of ties into some of the BOMAR stuff that happened recently in Nebraska about Lacey Act violations. So if you were an Iowa resident, let's just say, and you got busted baiting deer and shooting a deer over bait, pretty much a ticketable offense. They write you a ticket. They probably may take your deer or something like that. I don't know, but it's basically a ticket, right? Hey, don't do that again. Here you go. Now, if you're a non-resident and you do the exact same thing, and then you take that deer home with you because you live out of state, it now becomes a federal crime. It becomes a Lacey Act violation. The exact same law you broke, exact same scenario, but now we're talking federal crime. We're talking much deeper punish punishments. Uh, you're talking potential jail time, crazy fines, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, which is partially like what uh, the Bomars were talking about, like in their whole case, which is like reevaluating potentially the Lacey Act. Like in my opinion, it does need to be updated because that was not what the spirit of that law was intended for. But regardless, we're not talking Bomars today. We're talking about this other guy, right? So now we fast forward to... Um, last August, so about a year ago of 2022. Guy's taxidermist calls him, says, hey man, I'm ready. Going to mount your deer. I'm a little bit ahead of schedule. Can you bring me the rack? Because he kept the rack at home with him. Naturally, I know a lot of guys that do this. They don't want to just leave it at the taxidermist because we've all heard these horror stories. Taxidermist got broken into, rack got stolen, or in the one case, it sounds like the taxidermist maybe even sold the rack, whatever. So drops the rack off at the taxidermist within a couple weeks, I forget, two, three weeks. All of a sudden, knock, knock, knock. DNR shows up at the taxidermist. Uh, essentially, my understanding is they kind of quasi maybe threatened the taxidermist with like some violations because they were checking his books and saying, hey, you didn't do this right and you didn't do this right. And, you know, if you cooperate with us, we'll ignore this stuff, but we're going to take this guy's rack because we believe the deer was poached. So the guy gives up the rack. No search warrant. Doesn't have to, like, there's no legal anything. They just show up and say, like, you need to cooperate with us and give us this. And I think most people, probably not knowing any better, they're like, hey, do you have a warrant to take this? Like, is there some legal, like, is somebody, like, is, can you actually do this? Normally, they're like, oh, shit, I don't want to get busted for, you know, failing to fill out a piece of paper properly. Like, yeah, just take this rack. So they take the guy's deer. Then they contact him and say, like, hey, we've confiscated your deer. And eventually he gets uh, citations from the Iowa DNR for basically hunting over bait. And now they, what they do is they start trying to ask him questions. Where were you? Blah, 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 blah. And he starts kind of playing along a little bit. 
you know, but obviously like in most cases, this is going nowhere good. They're trying to catch you. They're trying to get you to say something. They're, they're leading questions. They're, they're trying to solidify their case against you. So in every case where this happens, every person should always say, I'm not talking, period, because we don't have to talk. And I'm talk to my lawyer, right? That's what we should all do. Everybody, regardless of what it is, like you should never talk to them. You think you're helping, but you're not. So in this case, he says, you know what, guys? I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to a lawyer. So they issue him these citations for, uh, again, like hunting over bait and whatever the case may be. Um, now, this is in some small town, small county, middle of nowhere, Iowa. So he immediately hires a lawyer, finds out that they only have 10 days to request a jury trial for this. So they have to like kind of kick it into high gear, request a jury trial. Well, of course, what, what does the Iowa DNR do? They start involving U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service because of the potential Lacey Act violation, right? So they're escalating this thing up. Keep in mind, he hasn't been found guilty of doing anything. He's been issued these citations. He's waiting essentially his day in court. Um, in the meantime, after he's already been given the citations, I believe he said that they even like text messaged them to him, like pictures of them. I think they got him to his house, whatever. They send a copy of the citations to his employer, not addressed to him particularly, but addressed to his place of business where he works. What normally happens in, in most places of business, right? The mail comes in, somebody, some administrative person is typically in charge of opening the mail, right? And then distributing it to wherever it goes. Unless, of course, it's directed to somebody in particular. In this case, it was not. So it's almost as if they wanted it to be opened by someone other than the intended recipient. And we all know that like, regardless of whether you are innocent or not, if you've got multiple violations being mailed to your employer and your boss or coworker see them, like it's going to cause questions. It's going to cause problems. It's going to cause issues. It's not like they were having a hard time getting a hold of this guy. He wasn't ditching them. They never came to his house and certified letters, whatever. It's, it's as though they did it to be assholes, right? Why else would you do it? There was no need for it. They were just like, we want to mess with this guy. We're going to send him to his work. So now he's, of course, rightfully so, he's getting pissed. Like, why in the hell would you do this? Why would you essentially threaten a person's livelihood? Because that's kind of the intended consequence, right? Why else send them to their work? Unless you have tried everything else and you can't get a hold of this person, right? There's no need to do that and, you know, potentially threaten a person's livelihood. This is a guy who's basically my same age. I think he's 41 or 42. He's married multiple kids, stay-at-home wife. Like, if he loses his job over this whole thing, which he could have, like, that affects so much in this dude's life. Over what? Over what? A couple trail camera pictures in a, in a picture with no real evidence. Like, it seems asinine to me that this would happen. So, in any case, uh, after that, he, uh, or I should say his cell phone provider, gets served a warrant for his cell phone records. So this seems to be a popular thing nowadays where they want to get your cell phone records. I don't know if they're trying to find exact locations, if they're looking for content in text messages or images or what exactly they do with it. My understanding is it's probably location data. If I had to guess, they want to know exactly where you were at. I don't know how granular that data can get, like if they can pinpoint like what tree you were in or whatever the case may be. So 
They get a search warrant for his cell phone records. They get a hold of his, his cell phone records at that point in time. Eventually, when this starts moving forward and going to court, they get to court and they're reviewing the search warrant for his phone records. And they find that the search warrant is not signed. It is not signed by a judge. It was an application for a search warrant that was never executed. So they never had the right to get any of his information, but they got it anyways. So through the court proceedings and whatnot, there's two things that kind of come up. Did they have legal access to his phone records, which they eventually deemed they did not because the, the warrant was not signed. So any information that was gleaned from that phone information um, could not be admissible in court. Now, of course, I don't know what they found on his phone, if they found anything of any sort of value, right? He never told me, there's no, I, like, I don't know. I don't know if maybe they did find GPS location of exactly where he was at, maybe in relation to where the, the bait was at or the minerals. So I don't, I don't know if there was incriminating evidence or not. According to him, there was not. The second thing they did was they used the trail camera pictures that we talked about earlier, and you tried to use those as evidence. And this is the part that really becomes interesting, because what they found in the end was that doing so violated his Fourth Amendment right against illegal search and seizure, both of the U.S. Constitution as well as the Iowa Constitution, their state constitution. So they essentially deemed that those pictures were inadmissible as well, which kind of relates to this other case that we're talking about where the DNR came and took this guy's trail camera and was looking at the pictures on it. So now we have two cases. This one now has officially been ruled upon as of July 7th. So we're talking a couple of weeks ago. This was ruled upon in the state of Iowa. And there's an entire brief um, about this individual piece, right? Uh, so there's something called open fields doctrine, which I read about and learned about, which essentially says you don't have the reasonable expectation of privacy if something is taking place in the open. So in a field somewhere. Um, so it basically says like, even if you erect a fence or something like that, it doesn't mean that um, a helicopter can't fly over your property and, and look at it or an airplane or maybe now modern, a drone, something like that it says, and the reasonable expectation of privacy thing is essentially like if a cop is like, can look in your car and see a bag of drugs on your seat, like that gives him probable cause, right? So in this particular case, cops were trying to say, because the camera was in the open and it was in an open area, you have no reasonable expectation of privacy for that camera. What the judge ended up ruling was that, uh, that is only partially correct. Uh, you have no reasonable expectation to privacy of the camera itself, but you have reasonable expectation of privacy of anything that is contained inside the camera. No different than a cell phone. The cops happen to find your phone in a field, right? They can take the phone, but they need to get a warrant to access the contents of that phone. And there was never a warrant obtained for the contents of this fella's trail camera cards. So it essentially was, again, deemed that a violation of his Fourth Amendment rights. So now they have no evidence. They got no cell phone data. They have no um, trail camera card data. But instead of just immediately dismissing the case, they kind of like go their separate ways or whatever. Then they try to, to basically bargain with the guy and let him play, take a plea. So he said they tried multiple times and offered multiple plea deals 
like, hey, man, uh, if you just pay a $5,000 fine and suspension of hunting rights for a year in exchange for a guilty plea, we'll call it a day. And then he said, absolutely not. And they came back and said, how about 2,500 and this? And he said, absolutely not. And then they came back and said, how about 500, no loss of rights. And I could be butchering what they exactly offered him, but it was like a, a declining scale of, of punishments when they eventually realized they had no case. And he just kept saying, nope, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Not doing it because his biggest fear was if I take a plea deal and I plead guilty to doing this in Iowa, which is something I didn't do. But if I just wanted to put this behind me, and, and pay the money and call it a day, I'm still pleading guilty and thus can be charged with this interstate crime of violating Lacey Act, which could be punishable by like $250,000 fine and like up to five years in jail, which we all know that like nobody actually gets that unless you're doing something like egregiously wrong. We know that that's not what he would get, but that's what he quote unquote could get. So he just kept saying, nope, 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 nope. And guess what? Eventually case got thrown out because they had no evidence and they couldn't go after him. Now he just was able to recover his deer recently, but I do want to read from, so he sent me all the, the court rulings and paperwork so I could verify all of this information that he's telling me. Uh, so there's a brief that was written by the judge in this case that I just want to read. And this is going to be a little bit long, but I think it's important because it's, it's, I think it's really, really good. Okay. So it says uh, the state who's trying to prosecute this guy, right? The state responds that the defendants had no reasonable expectation of privacy in the trail camera, citing the open fields doctrine, which we talked about earlier, which ironically has a quite literal application to this case. Further, the state points out that the camera and its contents were first searched by a private citizen before being turned over to agents from the Iowa DNR, which is what we talked about earlier. This other guy checked the camera first, then gave it to the DNR. The state correctly notes that the protections of the Constitution of the state of Iowa and the Constitution of the United States do not extend to searches and seizures by private individuals. So basically, you have protection via the Constitution against illegal searches from the government, but not other people. The, 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 the Constitution doesn't protect you against that. Uh, however, private citizens do not have the authority to file criminal charges. That has to be done by the state. Further, the state did not call any private citizens to testify at the hearing. Probably their mistake. The charges herein were filed by agents from the Iowa DNR, and the state's sole witness at the hearing was the DNR agent. Based on the contents of the citations and the testimony at the hearing, the court concludes that these charges were brought based on the search of the trail camera conducted by agents from the Iowa Department of Natural Resources. As agents of the state, the court must determine whether the search conducted by the DNR agents was conducted in compliance with those protections guaranteed by the Constitution of the state of Iowa and the Constitution of the United States. So this is where they're saying like, hey, we got to figure out if these charges you brought are, are valid or not, because they're based on evidence that may or may not violate your constitutional rights. In this instant case, the court concludes that the warrantless search of the contents on the defendant's trail camera violated the Fourth Amendment of the United States Constitution and or Article 1, Section 8 of the Iowa Constitution. While the camera may have been found in an open field, the contents of the camera, particularly the images on the saved SD card or other memory components, were not. In the court's view, the contents of these electronic devices are somewhat like the contents of a locked or a closed container in an automobile 
or the contents. I got to scroll to the next page. How do I get to the next page? Here we go. Gosh dang it. Or the contents of a cell phone, both of which the Iowa Supreme Court has ruled or has held require a warrant to search and one of which has also been found to require a warrant under the federal constitution. A person may not have a reasonable expectation of privacy with respect to the device or container itself, but that expectation of privacy does still extend to the contents held within. The court therefore holds that the search must be suppressed and the contents found on the defendant's trail camera SD card or other memory as a result of the warrantless search are fruit of the poisonous tree which I found to be an interesting statement and shall therefore not be allowed as evidence against the defendant. Pretty cool. So, I mean, that's essentially saying like, Hey, sorry, COs, DNR guys, like you can't just go rifling through people's private stuff without a warrant and expect it to hold up in court. Now, again, I don't know what was on the card. I never saw the pictures, right? I mean, was there a picture of, this dude walking in to his stand that night, a picture of the deer on the minerals. Like, I have no idea. You know, again, I'm getting one side of the story. He seems like a pretty believable dude. He says he was five to 600 yards away from the mineral station that night. He was not hunting over it. He was only using it for, you know, inventory purposes, which is something we see regularly. And this is, brings me to kind of the next phase of this conversation, which is Iowa's laws regarding feeding, supplementally, mineral stations, whatever, versus hunting. Their law is so incredibly vague. I don't know how anybody out there could be happy with the way Iowa's law is written. It's like one sentence that says, you like, and it lists a whole bunch of things that you can't do, and it just says you can't use bait for hunting. That's it. But who decides what that means? How far away you must be from said bait, right? I went online and I started reading and, and looking at the forums, Iowa Whitetail. I went to a bunch of Facebook groups. I ended up at Midwest Whitetail's FAQ section, all these places. And if you asked 50 people from Iowa what the difference is or what the, what the procedure is, you'd probably get 50 different answers. Some guy was like, well, a CO told me it's 100 yards from the bait. Some said 200, some said 300. Some said it had to be removed. Some said it didn't. Some said this, some said that. And in the end, it definitively sounds like it is up to the conservation officer, the CO, to decide whether he or she believes that when you shot that animal, it was being influenced by the bait or feed that is some in some unknown proximity to you. It's literally a judgment call. It is up to them. There is no standard. There's nothing that says if you're X amount of yards away, if the bait has been removed, if it's been this, if it's been, there's literally nothing. It's just completely at the discretion and judgment of the conservation officer, which makes no sense to me. So this happened uh, a couple years ago. You guys may remember this. There was a buck called the Franz buck. It was shot in Iowa. And at the time, and it may still be, I believe it was the largest whitetail ever killed on camera. It's like 260 inches. Brando, you and I watched the video the other night. This buck gets killed by Mr. Franz, hence the name of the Franz buck on a piece of property at 80 acres that he had just purchased that year. Starts getting pictures of this deer during the summer. And he's like, holy shit, this thing's a giant. So I'm sure there was twofold reasons why he wanted to film these hunts. Number one, for the show that he was involved in, right? Obviously, who wouldn't? But number two, what he says is, I wanted to shoot this deer on camera. So there was no question 
about the legality of what I was doing, which makes perfect sense. You would think I'm shooting this deer on camera to cover my ass so people can't say I was trespassing or I shot it at night or it had its head in a corn pile or whatever the million stories that always inevitably come out when somebody shoots a big deer. So he eventually shoots the buck, kills the deer with a muzzle loader in Iowa's muzzle loader season. Same exact thing happens to this guy that happened to the, the, the gentleman Stosh that we're talking about right now. DNR comes after him because a neighbor, probably jealous that he killed this buck because they had been chasing it too, essentially reported that he was hunting over bait. When he was not, you could watch the video, the guy's not hunting over bait. But they yet what happens? DNR comes, confiscates the guys. I believe it was mounted already at that time. So they come and they confiscate his mount. He has to spend untold amounts of money on lawyers and legal fees to go represent himself in court and eventually get the case, I believe, thrown out. I think the, the judge either threw out the case or he was found that he didn't do it based on the video that we had already seen. So the story goes that the previous landowners had mineral sites out on the property. Perfectly common. You could probably walk into every property in Iowa and there's mineral, mineral sites on it, either active or that have since been removed. So there was a mineral site that hadn't been freshened with minerals and I don't know how long, somewhere around near where he was hunting. I never figured out how far away it was. Was it 60 yards, 80 yards, 100 yards from his blind? It was somewhere in the vicinity. There was a hole in the ground that was left by minerals that used to be there where the deer would go paw in it a little bit, right? That's what the DNR used to confiscate the largest buck ever killed on camera. It's like 260 inch deer, I believe, was the gross score on this thing. And cost this man tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. They had, they literally had nothing to go on. And when they go into court and they watch the video, the judge ruled after watching the video, the deer was nowhere near the minerals, showed no uh, attention to the minerals, wasn't licking, pawing, doing anything to, to this mineral site. It was just bumping does around in a freaking food plot and got shot just like hundreds of other deer have. But all because somebody was most likely jealous and turns it into the DNR. And it's like anytime there's a big deer, or in this case, the guy was part of a show at the time, it's like they want to try to make an example out of him, but they got no goddamn evidence. I just don't understand like how this, how does this happen? How does anybody look at this and say, yes, we want to bring charges? You know, and fortunately for this Franz guy, like he had enough financial resources and for Stosh to be able to defend themselves. In a lot of cases, people don't have that. I believe that Stosh told me his lawyer cost was somewhere in like the twelve dollars to $15,000 range. Who's got an extra twelve dollars to fifteen grand to defend themselves against the DNR who has no evidence against you, is trying to bring this case against you, and then they start offering you plea deals. Hey man, you just pay us five grand, pay us 2,500 bucks. We'll let you off. Just give me that guilty plea. We keep your deer and you can just go on your merry way. We'll just, we'll just wash our hands and we'll walk away. But yet it costs you tens of thousands of dollars to defend yourself in court against no evidence to finally come out on the other end and win. You don't get the money back. It's not like the government cuts you a check for your lawyer costs. You're just screwed. You're out all this time, all this money. He had to take time off work, drive to Iowa, you know, 900 miles or whatever it was each way to get out there. All for, for what? For, for a deer? 
where he had a couple pictures and you thought a guy like it's just the whole thing to me is just insane. And it's crazy that that there's no ramifications or repercussions for anybody involved on the state side of things, whether it's, you know, prosecutors, COs, judge, like it doesn't matter. They, they, it's just, they're just we wanted to do this and we felt like we should do it. And it doesn't matter if we were completely wrong in the end, completely wrong, completely unjustified, whatever, like you as the private citizen get screwed. And I'm sure this happens time and time and time again, not just with deer, but just with everything. Like you hear these just horror stories of people being accused of crimes that didn't do them and spending time in jail. And as you guys know, I listen to a ton of Rogan. He's always got um, the guy from the Innocence Project on talking about this stuff and interviewing people. And it's just crazy to hear how they get railroaded into these types of things. And far too often, I think it happens because people can't defend themselves or they get scared and they just take a plea deal or whatever the case, or they ad admit to it and, and whatnot when they didn't even really do it. So, uh, yeah, this is a, this is a crazy one. I know that this, this person who, again, I'm not naming right now. Uh, he is, I believe seeking some sort of litigation against the conservation officer that did all this to him. Um, that brought these charges like without probable cause that served a warrant that had, that was not signed violating his fourth amendment. Like, I don't know exactly what he can or will be going after them for, but I, I think that's a noble endeavor. There, there should, there should be ramifications for all of us. It doesn't matter who you are or what you do. If you are negligent in your duties and you potentially, like he could have cost this guy his job, his family, his hunting rights. He did cost him tens of thousands of dollars. And in the end was proven, I guess he wasn't really proven innocent per se. There's entirely a possible chance that he's guilty and that he's, and that he's not telling the truth and that he's got off on a technicality. That is a possibility. None of us will ever really know that. I suppose he's the only person that's going to know that. He was the only guy around at the time. So we don't know, again, what was on the SD card, what was on the phone. All we know is that just this whole thing seems fishy. And if... And if you look at these other cases, I think there's some precedent here where I would err on the side of the hunter. I think sometimes these COs get a little overzealous, especially when it's somebody from out of state that they think they can just roll, right? They're like, this dude's from out of state. What's he going to do? He lives 900 miles away. We're going to get his ass, you know, and what does the DNR want? Just like in that Virginia thing, they want to confiscate that rack. They want to take the picture with it. They want to put it on Facebook. They want to hang it up at a trade show. I remember going to the Wisconsin Deer and Turkey Expo in Madison as a kid, and the DNR was there with just a wall full of bucks that they confiscated from people for poaching them illegally, shooting them at night and out of season and no tags and, and all those types of things. I think it was called the Wall of Shame, if I recall. It said the Wall of Shame, and it was just giant bucks up there. And it's like they want to parade them around for everybody, but at what cost, Right. Uh, I don't know. I still just don't understand how with no evidence, no witnesses, no anything, you can say that somebody did this, confiscate their rack and cost them all this money. Like there's no, I guess, probable cause or whatever. I, I don't know. I need, feel like I need to be a lawyer. I need to have a lawyer here, like explaining all this shit to me, like how somebody can do that. So that's the story. It's insane. What do you think, Brando? Do you think he did it or didn't do it? I assume he probably didn't do it. Yeah, I don't think he did. I mean, I talked to him for a long time. And I think the, there was, I think at one point in time, he sent a map pin to the DNR of maybe where his camera was or where his bait 
was, his minerals were at. And it was like a map of the property. And again, you can see the two fields and it's kind of like a brushy draw with some trees in between. And I believe he told me something along the lines of like the DNR was saying, we know where your camera and your minerals were at. And there's nowhere else for you to be hunting in that draw other than on top of those. So that's how we know you did it. And he's like, dude, that's like, that's kind of bullshit, right? I could be anywhere. I could, Maybe I'm a really bad hunter and I should pick really bad locations. You don't know that. Yeah, but I mean... Yeah suspecting that somebody did something and knowing it are two different things. You know, you have to know what they did before you start causing this whole chain of events that happened. You're throwing throwing darts at a board. Yeah, you can't just think, I'm pretty sure I know where you were at. Like, that just seems crazy to me. Like, what sort of, forget just being a CO, just what sort of person does this to another person? Right. All over what? A deer? A deer. We're gonna Accol- ruin. To we're gonna try to ruin some guy's being, life over a deer for a possible promotion for being so good at your job that you just get all these arrests or whatever. Yeah, but obviously you suck at your job <laughs> if you didn't get the warrant signed. Hello, that's isn't that the way that always goes though. You think you're like doing like the right thing, you're good, and then you're like, oh crap, I didn't do this one thing, and it all just falls apart. I think that's a pretty important thing, right? That's is. pretty important. Sure. sure, yeah. And they allege that there was a signed copy of the warrant out there somewhere, but they were never able to produce it. I'm curious, like how his cell phone provider gave up the records without a signed warrant. Did they just send the unsigned warrant? And they're like, oh, we got a warrant. And they just didn't know any better. Sure. Yeah, I'm sure that I mean, all the time. That yeah. seems insane to me. On top of that. So now you have a violation of his Fourth Amendment, which I think is one of the biggest things to come out of this case, which is like, if there's, there's precedent. This judge said verbatim, this is a violation of not just their state constitution, but the the... U.S. Constitution. So if that happens to anybody else out there where the DNR is trying to use your trail camera photos against you and they did not have a warrant to access those photos, they shouldn't be able to use them. We now have precedent set. I think it's a very powerful thing for a lot of people out there. And obviously it could be used for, for, for bad too. If somebody did do something wrong, you know, and, the DNR, and that's the evidence the DNR has that they did something wrong and now they can't use it. Like, but I suppose that's on them. They got to get it. They got to get a warrant. They have to get a signed warrant. And I think a judge is only going to give a signed warrant if like there's enough evidence to say like this person did this. They're not just going to be like, yeah, man, uh, we think maybe possibly. We don't know. I don't know. The neighbor's pissed because the guy killed the the buck he's been after for three years. So we got to look into it. How much does a judge have to know about hunting? Because right, maybe the judge has. I mean, I assume a judge in Iowa would probably know a lot about hunting, but. You know, it's quite the stereotype, is there, Brando. Is there, is there like an expert that I have to call in to like be the intermediary explaining what these DNR officers to so the judge, the judge understands? Yeah, I don't know. Like, he said that when he had to go to court, do you remember the movie Nothing But Trouble? Did you ever watch that? Chevy Chase no, back from like the eighties. So. Oh man, great movie. It like brought me, like I haven't thought of that movie in forever. And he's like, remember Nothing But Trouble? And I was like, oh yeah. He's like, reminded me of the court <laughs> from that movie. And I was, he's like, it was like very Barney Fife stuff, like middle of nowhere, Iowa, little, little small county town, whatever it happened to be. So it's a lot of everyone knows everyone type of deal, protecting each other type of deal. Right. I mean, all the, all the stuff that you hear about where you're like, nah, that doesn't really happen. Nah, that, that's, eh, apparently it actually happens. So I'm glad that he won his case. I'm glad that he got his deer back. Um, It'll be interesting to see what happens kind of from here on out. I'm going to keep continuing to to be in communication with this fella and see where his stuff goes. Like he, what he basically said was like, I don't want money 
I'm not suing for money or whatever. He's like, I just want somebody to be held accountable. Like this was negligence on their part, which cost me dearly on my part. So I just want there to be some sort of accountability for them. Because that's the thing we hear a lot of too. Like there is never any accountability. Like if we screw up massively at our jobs, we get fired, right? Or, or, or some, we, we're held accountable in some way. It seems like in this case, like, eh, whatever. Better luck next time. We'll get the next guy that comes from out of state. Like, I wonder what would have happened if he wasn't from out of state. We could speculate all we want. We'll never you know. know. We'll never know. We will never know. But I don't think it would have turned into such a big deal where they were like subpoenaing phone records and whatnot. But it seems to be like, oh, there's this out of state jerk off. He came here from Detroit. We don't like, we don't like the Lions. City boys. Yeah. <laughs> We don't like city slickers. We don't like Ford or GM around here. We're going to get his ass. So anyways, that's today's story. If anybody else has crazy stories that they want to share with us like this, like if you feel like you've been wronged by the long arm of the law, tell us about it. I'd be happy to have you on the podcast. Love to hear the grievances. Airing of the grievances. It's Festivus. So... That's it for today's special episode of The Pinch Point. We hope you guys enjoyed this crazy story. And maybe, I don't know what we can do about it other than just uh, get awareness out there. And we should try, somebody should try to get the laws in Iowa changed so there's some sort of clear definition on what you can and cannot do. How could you feel comfortable going out in the woods not knowing if some vindictive CO is going to come after your ass because they said you were hunting too close to the bait or where the bait used to be or that the bait influenced the whatever, whatever. Like everybody in Iowa that shoots a big buck, I promise you, if you live there, you've got the two things this guy had, a trail camera picture of a buck on a mineral site and a dead picture of the buck afterwards. Everybody's got that. I mean, that happens thousands of times a year in Iowa. And if that's the only two things you need to bring a case against somebody and cite them for violations, like, that's pretty scary. They could do it to anybody. I mean, dude, there's there's tons of shows out there. You look at any of these Iowa people, right? And there's a reason that a lot of the, you know, top hunters, if we will, in this industry live in Iowa because they got the biggest and best bucks, duh. But I mean, you go back, you look at... Lakoskis, you look at Kiskis, you look at Drury's, you look at Bomar's now, you look at all these Iowa names, dude, they're all feeding. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with it or that they're doing anything wrong. My guess is none of them are doing anything wrong. But again, you get a CO who gets a hair up his ass one day, decides he doesn't like you and wants to say that, hey, you got a, a mineral station 200 yards away down this fence line and you shot the buck here. Well, I think that that buck was traveling to or from that mineral station and I want to cite you. Like that's all it, it takes. And there's almost no way for you to defend yourself. You can't say, well, the law reads I was, needs to be 300 yards away and I was 301. Like there's literally nothing you can do. It's just like your word against their word, which seems pretty crazy to me. I, you would think somebody in Iowa would change the law to be like, I remember in Illinois here when we used to be able to allow to feed, we could never bait and hunt over it. It was like an area is still considered baited for like, I think it was 10 days. If I recall, like you had to remove the the bait or the mineral or the brick or whatever it was 10 days. And then if I recall, I think there was a specific 
amount of yards away that you had to be. So if you were, even if you removed it, right, that area was considered baited for 10 days. And I think you had to be like 200 yards away. So draw a circle. And I think that's how Nebraska is. Nebraska says you can feed, but you can't bait. So when Todd and I were in Nebraska at the outfitter, the outfitter had big feed stations out and he had pins on a map and we drew circles around it. I think it was 200 yards or 250 yards around that bait. We could not hunt within that circle. He made it very, very, very clear to us. Do not go within this range of this feeder. But it made it very cut and dry, black and white. If you're inside of that circle, you're in violation. If you're outside of it, you're good. I don't understand why Iowa wouldn't put more clarification in their system. My understanding from reading what DNR agents have said, they've actually said they wish there would be more clarification too. Because there's probably times when they're trying to prosecute somebody and they're having a hard time doing it because of the lack of clarification. So this can go both ways. So somebody in Iowa, it looks like that Franz guy tried to do this after his case was over. From what I could read, looks like they introduced some sort of legislation, wanted some changes, and it never got made. But I don't know why. Who would hold that up? Big deers. (laughs) Big big deer, the big deer lobby? The mineral lobby? The deer mineral lobbyists? I don't know. Well, like who's got an advantage? Who wins? Who is that good for? Other than the state. Other than the state being able to prosecute people for a gray area. That's the only reason you wouldn't want to have that. I don't know. I've talked too long. This is a long podcast, but this is some heavy, deep stuff that we all need to think about in our souls. So thank you all for listening. We will be back next week with more tales and adventures of people getting shot with crossbows and poaching animals and just generally doing stupid things. So we appreciate you guys all for watching and or listening. Make sure you subscribe, like, share, comment, whatever you want to do. Just support the pinch point. We'll see you guys next week. I'm out of here.